What do you think? Too much. Where did all this come from? Abby went nuts at one of them discount shops. Look, it's a yodeling Christmas pickle. <laughs> and we got a grumpy Santa sat on the bog because he looks like you. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> do you hate it? You don't. Do you, Dad? Oh, I think it's flipping brilliant. Correct answer. <laughs> the talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that... Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell when rock. Well, this is high. Jingle bells swing and jingle bells ring. Snowing, Snowing and blowing up bushels of fun. fun. Now oh, the, the jingle, jingle hop has begun. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bells chime in jingle bell time. Dancing and prancing in jingle bell square. In the frosty air. What a bright time, it's the right time to rock the night away. Jingle bell time is a swell time. To go gliding on a one-horse sleigh Giddy up, jingle horse, pick up your feet Jingle around the clock Mix and mingle in the jingling feet That's the jingle bell, that's the jingle bell That's the jingle bell rock Do we have rights to that? I'm Gavin and I am wishing you a Merry Christmas. Happy, good Merry my Christmas, my darling. Good Merry my Christmas, my darling. And Merry my Christmas to all our listeners, whether it be Christmas morn or otherwise. Yes. Glad to see that keyboard I bought you has already gone to good use. <laughs> well, you got a keyboard for your Christmas. Here was the thing. And I got a peacock. Right. I was <laughs> intending to put jingle bells over the the intro mm-hmm. and i had trouble tracking down the garage band file and all that sort of stuff so i thought well what can we do that's christmasy <laughs> instead of that so i thought of it, what you've all been subjected to <laughs> i wish you would have told me well then it wouldn't have been a surprise i would have been able to practice the harmonizations a little bit better yeah yeah you're a little pitchy but, <gasps> um, Shame on you. But then I did manage to put jingle bells over the theme tune anyway. Oh. As anyone who's listening to this will have realised. Already known. Yeah. By now. Anyway. You had to go to the old Mac for that. Yeah. Oh, that is a slow, slow computer. Yes. Anyway, how are you this morning? I'm good. This Christmas morn. I am good. You know, missing the kids. Mm -hmm. But. I think this is the first time we've ever had Christmas, just the two of us. Yeah. In fact, it must be. Yeah. And we think we like it now, but just wait until the kids are all out of the house and this happens. Oh, that's me 
more frequently. Well, it's my little reminder to let us know it's Christmas. And then we'll hate it. Or yeah. I'll hate it. You won't be bothered. But I'll hate it. <laughs> something, something for us all to look forward Case. to. We're missing, we're missing the Christmas family drama. I'm, I'm hearing about it, but we're, we're not there. Because my health has just been too wonky to risk this year. Mm-hmm. So we just put the kids on a plane. To anywhere. Which, which was stressful <laughs> enough. Air Yemen out of, <laughs> out of Detroit. You know, and their flight, Yemen. their flight out was to Connecticut. Well, was, Rhode Island. Let, right. Let's be, okay, let's, let's be accurate. Let's be pedantic. Right. Was uneventful, but now we're kind of worried that we may not be able to get them back. <laughs> There's lots and lots and lots of cancellations mm-hmm. that started the day after they flew out. See, but we were sensible when we were flying them out. Yes, we were. But not on Christmas Eve. It was very. We've seen planes, trains, and automobiles we enough have. times to know that you don't want to travel round no, about the holidays. You really don't. Even though that's a Thanksgiving movie. But yes. The premise is still true. This is true. You don't want to be flying out the day before. Right. Yeah. Give yourself a little bit of leeway. And it was quick. They were like through security in no time. There was really no lines. It was. It was. Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> oh really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've had we opened our gifts already. Yeah, got up a little bit early and opened up some gifts. Yes, I got a a vintage ceramic peacock TV lamp, which I have been wanting for for quite some time. Mm-hmm. I got a KitchenAid mixer, which I've been wanting for quite some time. I got uh, a Stephen Fry book that I've been wanting for a couple months, right? Because it was referenced in another book I was reading. So, um, it's the the Making History novel by Stephen Fry. Yeah. Everyone, I think, has a time travel novel in them. Yes. And this is Stephen Fry's attempt at it. Yes. I've read it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good book. Yeah, it was referenced in a book about the history of time travel and the history of time travel, like, in literature and stuff. So, that's that's why it got put on my list of books to read. Um, and then I got the, the re- release of Tom Petty's Wildflowers with the additional second second album that they decided initially not to release and now now they've released it. So quite looking forward to listening to that on my record player. In other words, dear listener, I pay attention. <laughs> you do. Pay attention. And then I got this lovely shawl that I'm wearing right now. Yeah. It's very, it's very it's pretty. very cozy. Very softly, softly. Uh, yes. And you got a keyboard and a Chihuly book and some MeUndies. So MeUndies, if you're listening. <laughs> We've been hoping for a wee MeUndies <laughs> sponsorship since we started doing this. Yes. Way back in 2018. Yes. Of all of the typical sponsors of podcasts out mm. there, I think MeUndies has always been the one that's attracted us the most. It's the funniest sounding one. <laughs> Absolutely, but we I'm, got at, I'm at that age where I need, I need undies. Where you're happy and excited I'm not going, to get I'm undies. I'm going through undies at any increased rate. <laughs> no. I just seem to misplace them. Right. And like any man, I don't know where underwear mm. comes from. So it appears under the tree in Christmas and that's all I need to know about that. Yeah. Yes. So a happy, happy Christmas all around, we're going to go eat Chinese food and watch a movie 
maybe eat Indian food instead of Chinese well, food. Well, that's the, the tradition is Indian food on Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. Yes. As the good Lord intended. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the wise men bring in Madras, Vindaloo. And, and Korma. And a Jaipuri. <laughs> anyway, shall we preamble? Shall we Christmas preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that festive calling news then. Says who? What? Says who? Alan Alan Halsell and Jamie Kenna, a.k.a. Tyrone and Phil with two L's, have become fast friends offset. Yeah, I think I've seen some photographs of them together. They look adorable. Yes. Recently spending a night out watching a football match in a local pub. Apparently they share many, many common interests from football to boxing. Alan says that the only the only problem he has with the relationship is that um, after after having a nice wee chat with Jamie, his neck is always sore it's because tall man. Jamie is significantly taller than Alan. <laughs> right. yes. So that's really cute. <laughs> it's like uh, what's his name and what's his name. It is. It's exactly like, it's like that. Like Daniel Brocklebank and um, Gareth Pierce. See, I knew who it was. Has one of them taller than the other? No, but they. They've become oh. friends offset and have gone on vacation together and stuff right. with their families and stuff. So, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. It's nice. It was time for the big soap quiz this week. And oh, Jack, P. Shepard, Jane Danson, and Tanisha Gorey absolutely killed it, winning the crown this year by two points and ruining Emmerdale's streak. So, take that, Emmerdale. We won <laughs> and you lost. Neener, uh- neener chicken dinner <laughs> it was good fun Tanisha was and actually Jane as well they were both very good mm-hmm. I don't know why they keep making Jack the captain although I guess it worked out this this year I think he's available I think he likes doing it I think he likes I, doing he it too I the impression that he enjoys doing it yeah it's a good format that they have uh-huh. I, I really enjoy it it's the sort of thing that you wish that they did a little bit more often yeah because it's um the little rounds that they have and the and the, the themes to the quiz, like they introduce characters of old that right. have maybe just been in one or two episodes. Right, yeah. And, oh, you were my doctor back in 1918, that kind of right, thing. Right, yeah. So it's good fun. And the Emmerdale punters were pretty good as well. I got the impression that Emmerdale wasn't putting their best team forward for that. <laughs> no offence to those that were... Oh! Oh, oh, oh. That were involved in it, but it felt a little just make up the numbers apart from mm. the guy that plays Marlon, whose mm. name escapes me. Mm. That's fine because this is not an Emmerdale podcast. This is true. It's not. It's a Coronation Street podcast. Unless we do well to remember that. We, we would do well to remember that. Finally, break out those sex cardigans, y'all. Yay! Kimberly Hart, aka Nikki, aka definitely not Sinead, will be returning <laughs> to the show sometime in the spring. Because Daniel doesn't have enough lady problems already. Yeah, the sex cardigan is with the dry back cleaners. Out. Yep. <laughs> I'm quite pleased that she's coming back. I liked her. Yeah, she was good. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be good to see her come back. I don't know what she's going to do. And a good uh, reaction from, from the fans, yes. I think. I think yeah, this is a, I think the a fans liked her we are, as well. That yeah. we, <laughs> we didn't get enough out of. We enjoyed the, the sex cardigan stuff. Right, yes. It well, we didn't lot. really enjoy the sex cardigan stuff. We it enjoyed creeped us it. out. 
Yes, we enjoyed mocking it. I thought the, as is so often the case, sometimes the end of that storyline was a little, a few episodes too many. Remember that Daniel yeah. paid for her to get off the game and, mm-hmm. and go to school and live or an something. honest life and set up a business right. with her mother or something like that. Quite wasn't patronizingly. It? A little bit. Daniel patronizing Satan, so mm. anyway. Anyway. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. That was better than you led me to, to believe it was going to be. Thank you for that. You are welcome. On to our mailbag then. We got an iTunes review, the first one in a, in a little while. Wow. There's a lag between when people post these things and I get to see them, especially if it's in the UK, because mm-hmm. on American iTunes, you only see American reviews. Right. You don't see reviews from around the world. So I Which rely- is a shame on Chartable to tell me these things and that's about a week lag so this probably should have been mentioned last week but from Gavin Scott podcast account it's a great name there Gavin recently I've not had the motivation to watch the show but the amazing weekly commentary is extraordinary thanks Aww. for being such a great podcast and keep it up oh that's very nice what a lovely Christmas extraordinary. present extraordinary I'll take that adjective yes. yes I will take that adjective but thank you for that. We really appreciate it. Yes, we do. And now let's podcast for coffee. And when we went to our coffee stores, the coffee stores on Christmas morn were bare. bare. It's fine. We still had some. You know, we have been Duncan. absolutely blessed by so many of our listeners buying us coffees this year and buying us coffees that we've been able to donate to charity so it feels like it's been a great year 2021 in terms of free coffees and money to charity which has been a nice little development that we weren't planning for but it was it was very gratifying to be able to do it worked out really well yeah so thanks to everyone in 2021 who's bought us a coffee. Mm-hmm. We absolutely appreciate it. It's not a joke. We do buy coffee with that money. Yes. So, so don't be under any illusion. Right. Will podcast for coffee is podcasting for coffee. Yes. What, so, are, you, what are you drinking your coffee out of this festive morning? It is the best fucking husband ever. Oh. Which felt appropriate. Yes. Because you are. <laughs> <laughs> and you are uh, see this is bob. why this is why there's never enough coffee left in the in because the, I always use the big massive the mugs mu- right yes yes I'm starting that's, to understand these things now that's on purpose <laughs> it means I ha- I I have to get up less to refill my cup it's a big SpongeBob mug it is that's a big SpongeBob mug it's the one that's for soup <laughs> and now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about fa la 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 It must have been a Christmas episode. What was your first clue? Fa. <laughs> Followed by la. Right. La 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 la. That's right. This was David explaining the Christmases of old to new Shona. Right, because... She'd been shot in the head. Did it ever snow on Christmas? And he would say, yeah. And she's like, oh, I've missed all these things after getting 
shot, shot in, in the stomach and, oh, the stomach. and David went fa la 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 Remember she got shot in the stomach and ended up with brain damage? I was Gavin <laughs> and you were miffed that I cut out stuff from a six foot rabbit from last week's Cory News. I, I don't know. No, I don't know either. Six it foot rabbit. Oh, oh. Oh, that was the the rabbit that Jack P. Shepard held in a suggestive way <laughs> at so. some point, and I thought it was hilarious. And you cut it all out. I, I have to not not you all the gold gets clean. through. There was a weird Christmas in Michigan for the first time in nine years, and now it's the second weirdest Christmas in ten years. After some confusion, we had an Indian banquet and banoffee pie with some Doctor Who and Pokemon sugar cookies. Soul was the Christmas movie of choice. We kind of loved Christmas, Corey. Yeah. Christmas, Corey, last year was really good. Haven't yes. watched this year's yet, although it is available as I speak right. on ITV Hub, but we haven't watched the Christmas Day Yes, we're only yet. speaking up to Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, yeah. Natasha has a surprise new job in that London. London? And has to move, and has to move there on Christmas Eve, and she's taking a reluctant son with her. That was a... Far more enthusiastic London than I was expecting. <laughs> Toya and Imran take custody of Wee Mason, but have to rely on Gemma to be taught the importance of an armpit dummy and an empty plastic bottle. Todd and Will's machinations are predictably causing a rift between Paul and Billy, the latter of whom makes Billy Bob Thornton seem a decent Santa by comparison. Chase and Kirk are forced to resort to a plan B when their stall takings and stock are stolen, although we never quite find out what that plan is, or if the only thing Joseph gets for Christmas is a bath. <laughs> DS whatever is closing in on Gary, which makes it a very inopportune moment for Kelly the Chin to turn up again, looking for an update on her dad's whereabouts. Last week's bistro shenanigans may well be the final straw for David and Shona, unless the spirit of the season and a six-foot cuddly rabbit can do something about it. <laughs> Christmas proves difficult for Yasmin until Tim's mum arrives with some timely advice. A cheesecake is used as a metaphor. Lily inhales beads. Leanne has a moussaka in the oven. Tim gets a decade's worth of back presents and everyone splits up. Our moment of the week was David and Shona's wedding reception under fairy lights in the factory. And our boring moment of the week was Todd complaining about the volume of Michael's music at the same factory. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. Whew. Yeah, that was quite a bit. That was a lot. We got a lot this week too. Yeah, we have half an hour less than, than normal. Like you said, we just watched up to Christmas Eve, sticking to our Saturday morning recordings. Right. I, I propose that we do the same next week as well. Yes. Shall we dive in? Festive Christmas. My dear, festive Christmas. Yes, please. Our festive Christmas. Festive Christmas storyline is dying to get married at Christmas. On Monday, Debbie's Rape Hotel has been decked out in pink love hearts by Gemma, apparently. This looks like a different hotel, doesn't it? No. Did it? No. Maybe it was just all those decorations. I think the decorations made it look like it was a different... Yeah. But it's the same Rape Hotel. Emma is having second thoughts, but Gemma says so long as she loves him, nothing else matters. Meanwhile, back home, Curtis is checking to make sure his flights to Fuerteventura are all in order. Because remember, last week we finished with Curtis looking like he was about to steal Steve's £100,000 charity money. Yes. Amy is helping Tracy load up the flower van for Emma's wedding. Amy is concerned that they're a bit funereal, but Tracy reckons that that's what Emma wants, what with Curtis being about to peg it and all that. 
<laughs> Steve wants to check his speech that he'll be giving in a few hours that he hasn't finished writing yet with Amy, who agrees to help. And then we have a funny little scene where the Undertaker and Eileen are strolling past the florist when the Undertaker casually asks about Eileen's favourite flowers. Hyacinths and Roses, she says, mm-hmm. also her favourite band. <laughs> At home, Steve goes through his speech explaining how Curtis has helped with the charity stuff and transferred the money last night because that's made it to the speech. Amy is appalled and urges Steve to check to make sure it was received because as far as she's concerned, this is very high risk that she's let him transfer the money. Yes. A wise, wise head on those shoulders or a, just a distrusting head. Right. It's a mini Tracy head. Right. Later at the hotel, Emma is looking amazing and Gemma is also there. Steve and Amy are late, so Gemma agrees to chase them up and calls Amy. Apparently also, there's no sign of Curtis. <gasps> what? Steve and Amy go to Emma's flat to find Curtis's bags, but no Curtis and his passport. Steve doesn't understand or understand how Emma still wants to marry him. What a fucking mess, he says. At the hotel, time is ticking on and there's no sign of anyone, but then Curtis... And pink crushed velvet from the nineteen seventies. He turns up. Nineteen well, seventies. Sorry. It's it's like up. a it's like a plaid. It's it's like it's like if they took that one suit of Imran's and dyed it pink. It's not crushed velvet. It looks more like flannel. I thought it was crushed velvet. It's it is pink though. Very pink. The pink plaid. He's had to travel to that hotel like that. Yes. In a taxi. <sighs> There's a conversation. Mm. There's no time to wait because the, I guess, the celebrant, mm-hmm. who's very time conscious, they have another wedding to get through, so she wants to get it done quick, sharp. Tracy offers to walk Emma up the aisle. This is why they should have just hired Billy. <laughs> yeah. Why? So where's, why? Where's Billy on Christmas week? <laughs> why do we have? Why when we have a vicar on the show? Does he never officiate any of these weddings? Does so, nobody go to his church? There's nowhere for them to sit. He sold all the pews, remember? He did. Tracy offers to walk Emma up the aisle. Let's strike one for the mother, she says. You're not my mother, says Emma, reminding us all that Emma's mother, Fiona, couldn't be asked turning up. So From Emma, Australia, in fairness. Or her brother. Her brother's not there either. Right. You'd think her brother would at least show up. Even Steve isn't there. So Emma has walked down the aisle to Iron Maiden's Be Quick or Be Dead, which I thought was tremendous. Okay. And Audrey cannot stand it. What's she's, Audrey doing there? She's sticking paper because Audrey is like a grandmother to Emma because she used to work for Emma used to work for her in the salon, remember? A former employer. Yes. Why is Gemma there? That's the big question. Why is Gemma there? Are they friends? Well, they used to be friends when they, the they, whole Chesney thing was right. happening. Right. They dated. They both dated Chesney. They've both been there. Yes, they have both been there. <sighs> and again, Emma's... Emma's One of them's currently there. <laughs> Emma's been there with a number of people. She lists them later. Yeah. I can't remember if I took a note or not. Shona might as well be there. Why is Shona not there? Then Steve bursts in, stop this wedding! And then in bursts PC Tinker, asking Curtis to accompany him to the station. The game's up. You are under arrest. So they have this little conversation while the celebrant is really starting to worry about time now. Mm-hmm. Curtis insists that he transferred the money and the 4000 that he added to the fund was the money that Steve gave him a little while ago. Oh, and by the way, he didn't do the three-peak thing. 
PC Tinker insists that someone needs to accompany him to the station pronto. Audrey is so confused. Yes, and now is. Emma is left at the altar, sure that Curtis, though, is innocent. She tries to explain about Curtis's condition, but no one's interested. Audrey tells her that she de- deserves better, and Tracy says there's plenty of fish. And then at the station... In a minority report type twist, because no crime has actually been committed at this point or confirmed at this point, Tom Cruise is interviewing Tom Cruise is interviewing Curtis, who must feel a bit of a plank, still in his nineteen seventies crushed velvet getup at the police station. Curtis tries to explain about his factitious disorder and that he transferred the money. Honest. Back at Debbie's Rape Hotel, Emma tells Steve that she still loves Curtis and he couldn't have taken the money. Steve says that Curtis is a proven liar and if he didn't take the money, then who did? Back at the flat, Emma isn't impressed when she sees Curtis's luggage and passport and then in Curtis comes wanting to talk to Emma. He wants to at least try to explain so Steve unwillingly gives him some space. And Curtis tells him that he's not a thief and not so stupid that he could get away with it. Right, yeah, because that's... That's not stealing just a little bit of money. That's that's stealing a lot of money. That's stealing a lot of money and then turning up for your wedding. Right. If you're going to steal the money, why turn steal up? the money why? and then never show your face again kind of thing. Yeah. How's he affording these tickets, though? That's my question. Because he, he doesn't... Well, he does work for Debbie. I keep forgetting that he still works at the bistro. Because you never see him at the bistro. No, because Debbie's taking all the shifts. <laughs> She's working later. Debbie has a weird red dangly thing in her hair this week. <laughs> I, think, I think they're jingle bells. I think she just sneezed before the, <laughs> the director said action. So Emma doesn't believe any of it now and wonders where he was heading off to. He says the bags were for their honeymoon. Emma leaves to stay at number one, telling Curtis to fucking do one, you boring prick. Back at number one, Steve gets a call from the charity. <clears throat> it turns out the money came through after all. Oopsie. It just took a little while. Right. <sighs> I can see I can see that amount of money taking, you know, at least 24 hours. You yeah, thought not so. Not longer. Right. So why get the police involved and why not just confirm with the bank? Cuz even if it takes time to transfer, I think it shows as pending. Yeah. I think they can probably tell that money is moving. Right. You would think. Who knows? (laughs) Helen no longer cares. Helen no longer cares. So Emma comes in asking Steve if she did the right thing, chucking Curtis out. Yep, says Steve. Yep, yep, yep. T? Yep, yep, yep. Why doesn't he say at this point? Because he's afraid. Because it seems like the money is the thing that really bothered Emma more than you know the lying and stuff because she's already kind of forgiven him for the lying part has she though because at every point leading up to the wedding she really looked like she was unconvinced that she was doing the right thing yeah and she was kind of half and half and i think if someone had said to her before the whole money thing transpired i don't think this is a great idea i think you should probably just at least postpone it right i think she would have jumped at the chance yeah on Wednesday then, in the morning, Steve is thinking that Curtis crashing into him months ago was deliberate. That's what I thought weeks ago. Right. Emma worries about the money and Steve stumbles that he thinks the police will be able to sort it because Steve still knows at this point that Curtis didn't steal the money but isn't telling anyone. Right. Aggie finds Emma chatting to Seb about 
all men being pigs, I right. think. Well, chatting <clears throat> chatting to Seb's memorial garden. Yeah, because Seb's dead. There's there's no Seb there. No. They didn't spread his ashes there or anything, did they? But she's talking to Seb. Right, yes. She's talking to the ghost of Seb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> Aggie says that she does that. Yeah, and just not like, to you Seb. You talk to Seb? No. She's like, no, I talk to other dead people. Aggie is sorry the wedding didn't go ahead, but says Curtis was a very good liar. Emma hopes that he's gone. She never wants to see him again. Yeah, because Aggie was fooled as well mm-hmm. into thinking that he really was a medical student. Right. So Emma gets home to find Curtis hiding in the flat with Love Actually cards. And I think at this point, I heard you from the other side of the house Shout. shouting. Oh, come on! <laughs> this is stupid. <coughs> Thankfully, she stops him early in his tracks and tells him to fuck off once and for all. But he refuses to leave until he's had his say. Yeah, which is... Which is quite Love Actually too. Which is, a, and is also a dick move. You know, if a woman tells you to leave, you leave. Mm-hmm. You don't say, no, not until I get my say. Men. Why are men, my darling? Why are men? I mean, not you, obviously. You're great. Well, to buy uh, pretty shawls. Yes. So Curtis's big plan here is to show Emma his accounts with no £100,000 in it, but Emma isn't that stupid. She doesn't think that he would know the truth if it slapped him in the testes. She She goes through the litany of lies and tells him again to get his arse out the out the flat and yeah. with no more gimmicks to fall back on Curtis agrees now at this point Steve has had a visit from the photographer from the charity place correct yeah because they want to get photographs of him for the whole raising all this money yeah. thing and he's not sure about doing any of this yeah. and it's this really strange long protracted scene where the photographer's trying to phone the charity and ends up listening to Enya on hold and Steve I, is kind of why are you still standing here until he sees Emma coming round the corner across the street right. and he hurries the photographer into the house yeah it's 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 because plot that part was kind of funny it was kind of like um Remember the man who's was it his wife? No, it was his mother who was deed. Remember the mother who was deed, and that that little old man whose mother was deed, and he was kind of the comic relief for that episode. It kept on going. Yeah, I I kind of like that they do this sort of thing every once in a while. Give I us, think give us fish guy. I think this is oh yeah. It, Fish guy kind of was the same thing. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> no, just, you know, a little bit of comic relief from a character we'll never see again. Sorry, <gasps> fish guy. What? <laughs> Hopefully we'll see fish guy oh, again. Christmas. I think, I think, I think the fact that we continue to invoke the name of fish guy <laughs> will hopefully get him back I, on the show. I don't put any weight on our opinion whatsoever, <laughs> but I do think that if I keep on going on about this... He might get another episode. Yeah. Or if he, if he does get another episode, I might think that I'm at least partly responsible for it. We did get a t-shirt on the show. <laughs> we did. Once. It's never been back on again, though. No. I was thinking about that this week because... So was I. Because he did. He does wear another green t-shirt. He came in uh, wearing his Christmas jumper. This is Tyrone. came in wearing his Christmas jumper in the same way that he came in when he was wearing his uh, Spartans t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of that. And it made me think that he's never worn it again. <laughs> Maybe it was too tight. 
It, it looked, looked like, like a it good fit, fit him really it nice. It looked like a good fit. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <clears throat> My so, shawl has buttons. <laughs> yeah, that you've been fucking about with for the past 15 <laughs> minutes. So later, the photographer gets Steve outside and has a couple of sexy elves with a novelty check. Emma walks by again and is confused because the money was stolen. There is no 100000 to donate to the charity. The photographer seems to have intimate knowledge of the charity's finances and can tell Emma that she's havering pish. So Steve hurries her inside and says that he told a white lie about Curtis not stealing the money. White well, lie! he didn't tell white a white lie! It wasn't really a white lie because at the time he did believe that Curtis had stolen it. The... It's a it's a lie by omission that he has told because he is he has not told the truth once he found out the truth. Right. All this time, Emma says he was telling the truth, and she runs off to find him. Tracy wants to know what this is about because she thinks that Steve is a genius here. Curtis was a lying shitbag anyway, and the best thing is that he's out of Emma's life now. Yes. What you can do, Steve, is make sure that he stays out of Emma's life. Right. Wise words from Tracy. Merry mm. Christmas, everybody. Merry Meanwhile, Christmas. Emma is running around like a blue arse flea. Debbie suggests a tram stop might be a place to find Curtis, but then says that Curtis has already handed in his notice. Yes. It's not really notice if you're going to quit immediately. Right. And she's got this little red thing dangling from her very short hair. Mm-hmm. Instead of... Someone give that woman a handkerchief. What? What 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 they should have given her to wear for this would be like one of those headbands with antlers on it. Yeah. That would have been better. It would have worked with her hair better. Did it ruin Christmas for you? It did. <laughs> so Emma comes home empty-handed and she gives Steve a hard time. All she wanted was him to walk her down the aisle, but all he's done is hurt her. And now Curtis has gone forever. And I think the implication is that Steve is supposed to feel guilty about this. Because hmm. Steve reminds her that Curtis conned four grand out of him. None of the things that Emma loved about Curtis were true. Right. These home truths are a bit too close to the bone for Emma, who calls Steve a liar too and says that she'll never forgive him. And, and she yet goes, she has forgiven Curtis. And she goes back to the flat, looks at pictures of her and Curtis and cries. Well, she looks at their like wedding invitation thing. And the pictures. F- the future Mr. and Mrs. Oh, let's see if Helen knows what Curtis's last name is. Delamere. Oh, I knew well it was Delamere. Done. Off the sea. Yes, of the sea. Because remember, there was that whole theory about names, thinking that the writers of Coronation Street were somehow Charles Dickens. <laughs> it was the worst of times. It was also the worst of times. And on Christmas Eve then, Steve bumps into M on the street. He just wants to make her happy. Then help me look for cut, as she says, and she stomps off. Irving Eileen comes along and says in her experience, when it comes to offspring and matters of the heart, either help them or lose them. And later in the Rovers, the Undertaker, for all the world, sounds like he's measuring Eileen up for a coffin when Steve comes in to speak with Emma. He maintains his previous position that Curtis is bad news and will only break her heart, which is obviously not what she wants to hear, and she leaves him to it. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that storyline up until the end of Christmas Eve. Your thoughts on this one? Why do people keep referencing Love Actually when that movie is like... Almost 20 years old now. People love that movie. Why do people love that movie? It's such a bad movie. I think it's one of those movies that so long as you don't think about it. Right. It's not as horrendous as it, as it's, it seems if you do think about it's, it. As long as you try, you don't try to rewatch it. Like there are movies of my childhood that I have fond memories of that I absolutely refuse to rewatch because if I rewatched them, I'd realize 
how horribly they've aged. One of my favourite movies uh, was Basketball, <laughs> the Trey Parker and Matt Stone uh, sporting comedy mm-hmm. that I remember having a conversation with my department manager in his office mm-hmm. about how funny it was when uh, the kid with a kidney problem ends up on emergency dialysis and smelling like Christian Slater. <laughs> what on earth? You just couldn't. You couldn't make that movie these days. No. Oh, maybe, maybe they and would maybe, try. And maybe that's maybe for that's the a best. Good thing, right? Maybe that's for the best. They've been doing quite God, well with a, those, those. That was a funny movie, though. COVID-related South Park. Episodes. I haven't watched them, Me and neither. I'm normally right on top of it. But you really are. Oh well. They're getting paid a billion dollars for that. Yeah. Not just for those episodes, but for the next few series and that movie or something like that. Yeah, another a billion movie. Billion dollars. Another movie. So we'll get we'll get some more bangers like Blame Canada. Right. Anyway. That the the South Park movie was was great. Yeah. Basketball not so much. Right. So have we seen the last of Curtis? I hope so. <laughs> I don't think we have. I don't think we are, but a girl can hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the, I don't think the wedding was going to go through smoothly because of the setup from last week mm-hmm. but I do feel a little bit cheated by that ending last week really? yeah because the we huge red herring yeah we were obviously meant to think that, that he was he... stealing the money which meant that he's definitely not stolen the money right but yeah. I think the little sleight of hand that they pulled at the end was a little disingenuous and to make Steve the bad guy in all of this I think it's kind of ridiculous. I quite like his stance on this, though. Right. Because he's getting advice from Eileen to go with Emma's wishes. Mm-hmm. He's getting advice from Tracy. Saying to, absolutely to not stay to the do course. that. You're doing the right thing here. Right. And normally, I don't think he listens to Tracy. Mm-hmm. But when he came into the pub at the end there on Christmas Eve and and he's, he looks like he's trying to make amends... I thought he was going to say, well, I've managed to track him down and right, he, yeah, is here here. he is Yeah. But he didn't. He stuck to his guns. And, and I quite I quite appreciated that. I don't necessarily that. think Eileen's advice is very good because that meant that she stayed out of Todd's way while he, you know, made Paul's life a living hell and deceived Billy. Maybe, Eileen, maybe you should have stepped in <laughs> in all of that mess because yeah. that was bad. Right. You let your children make bad decisions because you don't want to lose them. And yet, only one of them is living on the street now. Mm. So, I don't know how well that advice has worked. Right. Yeah, Steve holding the course, and even though he knows it's the unpopular viewpoint, mm-hmm. is right. Because the evidence does back him up here. Yes. Curtis has lied about everything that Emma... Right. She really doesn't know she doesn't anything know him about at all. him anymore. You know, and he was right in that, you know, if it weren't for the fact that supposedly he was dying, you wouldn't have said yes to a proposal so quickly. That's true. That's very true. And yet Emma doesn't seem to be able to see any of this because she's just so desperate to be loved, which is sad. Yeah. She said herself, though, was it last week or this week that that his name could be something completely different and she doesn't know about it. Yeah. We've gone from that to want to chase him down and... Yeah. I, I'm not happy. No. But we'll see how that goes on Christmas Day. I'm looking forward to that. Shall we move on? 
Yes. Our next storyline this morning is Abbey Christmas. Abbey Christmas, darling. Abbey Christmas, everybody. On Monday, Kev and Abbey are back at the garage. Kev gets a call for a pickup and Abbey agrees to go and take care of it. Debbie comes along to see how they're doing and to let Kev know privately that that Kale of the Chin is actually living with Dev and working at the barbers now, so word to the wise, mm. you better let Abby know about it before she finds out for herself. Yeah. Then Homeless Stew is at the barbers looking for a trim ahead of a meeting with Yasmin. Kelly was just uh, locking up but offers to do it for him despite admitting that she's never cut hair before but how hard can it be because Maria can do it. Homeless Stew may be without a home but he's brimming with spunk and he agrees to be her dummy. Yes. Which so, is nice. So, I I continue to like the relationship between Kelly and Homeless Stew. What a head of hair that man has. Yes. A very Lush. luxurious. Oh, luxurious. Head of hair. Very soft. Are you jealous? V- very much so. <laughs> So Homeless Stu and Kelly go for a drink in Nina's Rolls. It doesn't look like uh, she's come within a mile of his hair with a pair of scissors. But right, anyway. yeah, it doesn't look like she's done anything. <laughs> no, but he's happy with it. Yeah. And Maria, who's a professional, she comes in and she's impressed with Kelly's talent. Right. Offering her a stylist trainee position on the spot. Yeah, which is nice. It's nice that Maria is really taking Kelly under her wing. I like that. I like that she's no longer, you know... Gary, you have to worry about your own kids and your own family first. Yeah. She's, she's, just, she's becoming less selfish as as she continues on her campaign to beat Sally. When Abby get... Oh, to best her, yeah. Yeah, to beat her to a pulp when, in, the, in the polls. When, to when annihilate I, her. Beaten in the polls. When Abby gets back from her pickup, Kev tells her that they need to chat just as Kelly walks by and Abby barks at her, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. It's huh? a street. Abby! It's Abby! A s- Abby, it's a street. People can walk down the street. Mm-hmm. They don't need your permission. Kelly tells her that she doesn't want any trouble and she rushes into number seven, leaving Kev to explain that he saw Kelly and Nina together before they left and Abby stomps off in the mood. I wasn't sure who she was angry with here, if it was just Kelly or if she was also angry that Kev had kept her in the dark about this. Right, or if she's mad at Nina for seemingly having forgiven right. Kelly. Back at the cafe, Abby goes in to see Nina and gives her blessing for her and Asher trying again with their relationship. Abby wants to know how Nina feels about Kelly the Chin being back on the street. Nina explains about the homeless Nina storyline from a few weeks ago, but Abby doesn't quite get it. Nina hasn't forgiven Kelly, but is tired of hating her. Then Addy gets home to find Kelly packing, but not like that, explaining about Abby's reaction. Addy doesn't think running away is the answer, and he knows that she's not a bad person. He tells her to try and speak with Abby, which is dreadful advice. Yes, but again, let's remember, he's young. (laughs) But Kelly goes round to speak to Abby anyway, and she tells her the homeless Kelly story, and she has nowhere else to stay, and she had no other option. Abby tells her to stay out of her way and slams the door in her face. Yeah. On Wednesday at home, Kevin and Jack are worried about getting into the Christmas spirit because Abby's been such a fucking downer lately. But she comes in and insists that they enjoy themselves after all. Then Tyrone meets up with Kev and Nina's rolls with a box of sebs that Emma found in the flat when she was tidying up. Kev decides to go through it before telling Abby about it and he finds an envelope and he's like, Oh. What's this? And he shows Tyrone... And Tyrone suggests ignoring it, but that's the last thing that Kev can do. And who knows what this is? Who knows? Who 
knows? Kev gets home to find that Abby's gone mad at the random Christmas tat shop. She's bought a yodeling Christmas pickle, a grumpy Santa on the bog, and a cow in a bra for the top of the tree. Yeah, it's the, the, the grumpy Santa, she says, looks like Kev. Yeah. And I that's can, hilarious. I can believe that. I also like the yodeling pickle. Mm-hmm. I bought this grumpy Santa. It looks like that guy that said that he was Curtis's dad on your wedding day. <laughs> Abby is overcome with emotion, so Kev suggests going to the bistro for some scran. Secretly, though, Kev is worried about the contents of Seb's envelope from beyond the grave. And then Debbie, owner of eight hotels, is waiting tables again at the bistro. Everyone seems to be fine when Kelly comes in to pick up an order, though. She seems to have calmed her, uh, cooled her jets somewhat. Kev goes off to take a call from a mysterious someone who mentions something mysterious happening tomorrow. Uh-oh. And that tomorrow's Christmas Eve. <gasps> Abby is throwing herself into a Christmas dinner to take her mind off of Seb. This is her first attempt at cooking a Christmas dinner mm-hmm. and she wants the day to be like a vomit-inducing vomit television commercial. That's yes. how good she wants it to be. Yes. But with less vomit. Right. Then Fizz is packing ahead off the trip to Aviemore. Ty comes round with prezzies for the girls and Fizz worries that Ty won't have a good time with Misery Guts Evelyn but he reveals that he's looking forward to a quiet day and then hanging out with Kev later. Mm-hmm. And then later, Fizz runs into Kev, who reveals that Tyrone won't be joining them for Christmas at all because he'll be too miserable, gutted that he won't be seeing the girls. Kev really should stay out of other people's relationships. Yeah. Why the hell would you say that to her? Why, why would you... Obviously, she doesn't know. Obviously, Tyrone hasn't told her. Why is it your place and your business to do so? Spoiler alert, it's not. I think what people tend to do in that situation is pretend that they've heard something else mm-hmm. <clears throat> nod politely and then just walk away yeah yeah Kev's not good at that though <sighs> so <sighs> Abby has come home with a frozen turkey that needs 48 years to defrost <laughs> and this is enough to trigger her into a rant that covers turkeys needing hats taking a swipe at Ed Sheeran for some reason and then declaring herself a disaster zone that Kev would do well to steer clear of Kev announces that he'd be happy with cheese on toast, so long as there's a woman there to make it for him. She seems relieved that it'll just be them tomorrow. I wonder where Jack's going. Right, yeah. When Jack will no- be there, hopefully. When, when there's a knock at the door, and blow me down with a feather, but it's the Australian twins. <gasps> it's Bono and Twiggy, or whatever they were called. <laughs> I hope I haven't fucked this up, says Kev, who clearly hasn't fucked this up. No. And later, the twins, Beyonce... And she gets to hug them. No social distancing. She right. gets to hug her children. And later the twins, Beyonce and Jay-Z, well, their dad <laughs> picks them up, but promises to bring them back round tomorrow. And Abby just couldn't be happier. Kev explains that all this was done by Seb, who had discovered that the kids would be in the country for Christmas. Even in death, says Abby, Seb still comes up trumps. He's the gift that keeps on giving, says Kev. And I'm like, Seb? <laughs> <laughs> and also... Kev had a part in this now as well. Seb may have gotten the ball rolling months ago. Yeah. I've, but Kev... I'm not sure what the chain of events are here. Yeah. Yeah. Because how... Who knows? Anyway, Kev gets some... I'm, I'm, I'm not one for giving Kev credit for anything. No, you're not. But Kev also deserves some of the credit here. It wasn't all just Seb. Because if it was just down to Seb, well, it wouldn't have happened. Because his his line of communication was cut short. <laughs> right. So, 
<laughs> That's certainly how I think it would appear in the script. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. It was nice to see, I think it's the same twins. Yeah. They look familiar. Yeah. And they're just taller now. Yeah. Starskin Hutch or whatever they're called them. <laughs> Does anybody know what their names are? When they appear on screen, what do you think? You just think twins. Yeah, you think you? Abby's twins. Right. You don't think, I don't know, Jeffrey and and Michael. I think she says their names. No, she doesn't. She doesn't? I thought no. she does. No. And then when the dad turns up with an accent from God knows where <clears throat> and says that you'll bring them back around again, mm-hmm. he calls them Kiddywinks. So. Yeah, we know his name though. It's Damon. Yeah. Yeah, we know his name. He's the devil. <laughs> yeah, I think even in the closed captioning, it said girl and boy. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that is the names. Which is one of the one of the many hilarious things that closed captioning did for me this week. Also, when Aggie is talking about getting Christmas presents for Glory, Glory is not capitalized, so it sounds like she's she's buying presents for Glory. <laughs> Glory for Aggie for buying Christmas presents. Now, for this to happen on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. with a promise of more on Christmas Day, right? I kind of feel like this is setting us up for a little bit of a feel-good story. Yeah, that we can watch later on today. Yes, but there's part of me that's worried that. Well, oh, she's going to be sad because they're going to go back to Australia. Right, but but what if they don't turn up? Is that going to make Mad Abby oh, return God, again? I, I don't hope know. that doesn't happen on Christmas Day. Right, and that's what I'm worried about. Because what I'm looking for here, in everything that we watched this uh, this week, is something to make me think that what we got last year, which I think we agree and we talked about earlier, was, was good. quite a wholesome, good, traditional... Lovely character development and stuff. No... Nobody had a gun, nothing I, exploded, yeah. that kind of thing. And uh, according to a tweet from Tony Maudsley, aka The Undertaker, right. this is supposed to be more of the same. I do wholesome. hope so. And I think this is the as a little suggestion that that's going to happen. I just worry that it's I feel set, like, set me I, up to be disappointed. I feel like the whole, the whole Platt Barlow combined Christmas is, is going to be the thing that takes up the most space today right rightfully so yeah because that's a lot of people <laughs> there's a lot of people with a lot of far too many people and a lot of dynamics there that that should be quite funny and i feel like something wonderful will happen with sam somehow a christmas miracle a christmas miracle maybe maybe it's david who finally gets him to talk just keep on hitting him until he says <laughs> something <laughs> you punch him in the arm long enough he's going to tell you fuck off sooner or later and then so, it, you it can't so be cute. silent now because you've told me to fuck off. It was so cute because uh, Jude Reardon, I think yesterday on, on Instagram Live, was in his Christmas jammies, which had pizzas on it, and was lip syncing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You in front I, of his Christmas tree. I and need was, to see that. It was delightful. All right, let's move on to a penultimate storyline today, which is Nina Attack at Christmas. Nina, attack! You need, you need that exclamation point, kind of like Mars attack. Right. 
On Monday, Craig and Faye... Another movie that I'm worried hasn't aged well. Mars Attacks? Yeah. Oh, how? I'm, 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 just, I'm just worried that, that there are some jokes in there. Oh, really? Of a, a sexual and possibly racial nature that <laughs> have not aged well. Shall we find out later? No. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday, Craig and Faye are at Nina's Rolls. Faye is brushing up on the highway code, worried about her driving lessons that I guess are coming up. Craig seems to be the one giving her the lessons and assures her that she's in safe hands. Then Asha comes into the cafe to see Nina. It's the anniversary of her dad's death. Nina, because Dev's still alive. Yes. She suggests a shopping trip to cheer up. Is he? Because we don't see him this week. He's 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 oddly not present. This week. For in, lots of things that happen in Dev's house and in Dev's store. This week in classic Corey, it's the, the debut of Dev. Oh! <gasps> sitting in the car and you want to hear him talk uh-huh. he's like a, a mid-Atlantic drawl DJ <laughs> hi you're looking for Dev I'm Dev what can I do for you and now Beverly Knight so it's, it's those unique Devisms uh-huh. obviously th- this character wasn't born with them it's a little bit like how Roy was the creepy stalker weirdo guy right and then becomes you know the everybody's grandpa exactly there's, a, there's the development yeah. Off that character, as I think the writer, the writers and the actor find their find their find their comfortable slippers with them. Yes. You know, yes. So yes. So Asha comes into the cafe to see Nina. It's the anniversary of Nina's dad's death. She suggests a shopping trip to cheer Nina up. So Nina sees if she can get Shona to cover. Yeah. At first she says no, and then she asks Faye instead because apparently Faye and and Asha are friends. Sure. And Faye says, no, I'm... I'm Going on a driving lesson. Right, yes. Which gives Craig the opportunity to say something mildly sexist about women drivers. <laughs> so Craig has stolen a taxi <laughs> and he's given Faye her first lesson on the cobbles. Yeah, what's what's the liability insurance on, on using a taxi to teach someone how to drive? And who has he spoken to to arrange this? I'm assuming Tim, Tim. because Tim is Faye's dad. So she Why confu- is Tim not teaching her how to drive? Right. That's kind of a dad thing. So she confuses the brake with the accelerator and nearly hits Asha at around three miles an hour. Nina screams and has a panic attack. And do you know how we know that she has a panic attack? Because there's this weird kind of muffling sound and and fading everything, but 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 Nina's face in, in kind of black and white, but not really. It's a blue filter, I think, that's yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they really want us to know what's going on. <sighs> but I I found that to be the person who's looking at Nina as having the panic attack. Right. Yes. <laughs> if we should see her point of view, if we're going to see the strange kind of tunnel vision sort of right, we should be got. we should see the other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they can't all be winners. <clears throat> so she has a panic attack as Faye after less than 10 seconds of driving, decides that she's had enough for the day and Craig says that he has to get back to work anyway. So how long was this lesson going to be? Right, yeah. 15 seconds? And again, why is, why is Craig the one teaching her how to drive? <clears throat> and why why is it taking her so long? Oh, she was in jail. She wasn't 15 when she went to jail. You can't drive when you're 15. Why not? Because that's the law. How old do you have to be to drive in the United Kingdom? To start learning how to drive? Yes. 17 years old. What? Mm-hmm. 
it's 15 here actually it's 14 here in michigan but yeah because all these laws in america for these things make absolute sense right and different states have different laws but because we live in in farm country it's a little bit younger because you you want to get your kids out there doing cheap child labor <laughs> out in the fields Absolutely. driving the tractors for free free yes. i tell you yeah our kids got uh driver's ed for christmas 300 bucks that's actually pretty decent yeah because at the end of that he'll have a license more or less he'll have yeah. to do really really badly not to have a license yeah we'll still need to take him out for for his for some of his required hours of driving mm -hmm. and some of them at night yeah that'll be fun yeah you want to do that can't we both do it <laughs> yes yes let's let's share the responsibility here's an idea yes it's late when Asha gets to see Nina, who explains about Abby and being stuck in the cafe alone. So Asha arranges to spend the night. And Asha, I think because she loves Nina so much, right. isn't seeing what is becoming more and more obvious here. Right. That there is yeah. something wrong with Nina, yes. who is worrying about Asha way too much. Yes. On Wednesday, Nina's rolls. Nina's preparing for her market stall and panics when she can't find the float. Carla finds it. This is drama. Then she panics when Asha won't be around immediately to help set the stall up. Carla begins to worry that something's wrong with Nina, so Carla spots it. Yeah, us. Carla spots it, because that's what big sisters do. <clears throat> On the Christmas stall, Nina's freaked out when Asha's late, and she's crowded by a small group of choir members who she tells <laughs> to fuck off. Carla appears and checks everything was okay, which Nina insists that it is. Then Asha turns up at Nina's stall just as some kids steal a tin uh, off the... The tip jar. Yeah. Asha gives chase while Nina has another one of those panic attack things that's already overdone and annoying. Yes. <coughs> Where we see Nina and not the world from Nina's point of view. Yeah. Do they not trust the audience to know what that would be? Well, again, let's remember uh, a few weeks ago when Kelly kind of went through a very similar thing and they didn't do this blue thing, but they did have some noise sound effects and oh that was when she was out of her tits on space right <clears> yes <throat> because kelly's in dune now right and not in a good way mm. oh but i think i'm going to say again nina wants to call the police and she says to carla that this is all her fault Asha comes in all bright and breezy with a tin. Right. No biggie. With the stall closed up, Asha suggests hanging out, but Nina is in a foul mood and basically tells Asha to beat it. And not in a good not, way. Yeah, not like that. Carla demands to know what's going on with Nina, insisting that everything was her fault, but she insists that she's fine and it's maybe better that Asha uh, stays away from her. Right. She she's asks safer. Carla to leave, but Carla insists that if Nina doesn't want to speak with her, she must speak with someone. Someone! And then on Christmas Eve, Nina rolls Nina's having a nightmare by deliberately knocking plates to the floor and pretending it was an accident, but Carla is there and not so subtly reveals that she's managed to get a hold of Roy Yay! and he seems to be fine. <clears throat> Nina is annoyed that he didn't contact her until Carla spoils the surprise by telling her that it's going that he's going to do so on Christmas Day. Yes. In and, the morning. And Nina heaves a mahoosive sigh of relief. Yes. And later Asha comes round to Nina's roles to make sure that Nina will be joining them for Christmas. Kelly, it seems, will be with Imran and Toya. But Nina says that she don't do Christmas and she definitely don't do it this year, which Asha takes as a no and disappointedly Asha leaves. And then later, later, Carla comes in, 
Carla comes in to ask what Nina's doing for Christmas and she insists that she'll be spending it on her own doing college work and waiting for Roy to call and Nina couldn't be less interested in the festive period. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this yeah. week. So unfortunately, Carla was not able to drag Nina to the Platt Barlow family Christmas. Yeah. Because obviously Carla's going to that. Right. Because she has no other family. Right. Because Johnny's dead. He's yeah. got Jenny, I guess. But Jenny's going to probably do something with Daisy. Yeah, if we lost Johnny this year. We in, did lose Johnny memoriam. this year. <clears throat> Drowned for no reason. Yes. <laughs> Gavin's rolling his eyes <sighs> as we speak. Uh, if, well, the if, reason if it, you could add for no reason to the end of a sentence, it's, it's disappointing. It is. I'm not disappointed that he's dead. No. And because it I seems think the like... Had, but I don't know what to talk about Johnny, but seems like the actor was ready to go as well yeah, just it seems like a lot of the older actors are kind of ready to go Who? don't don't want to you know risk their lives for so, a television show so nina's ptsd or whatever is that she's yeah um suffering from yeah which <clears> we <throat> saw first which we saw first and this is the other annoying thing about this whole blue filter weird thing that they're doing is because We've already seen her kind of have one of these panic attacks when she saw Kelly being assaulted. Yeah, right after Kelly was having one of these strange right, vision yeah. things. And it wasn't, it was, it was more of a conventional with the sound and stuff mm-hmm. and the hearing voices in her head. That would have been fine without the weird blue filter staring at Nina, who's the one actually having the attack. And I know that these things... These things tend not to be so on the nose as this, where yeah. you get triggered by something that makes absolute sense. When, when I've had a, a panic attack or two in my life, it's kind of, well, what brought it on? And you're like, I don't know. And that's the the scary thing about it is that you don't know what what brought it on, so you don't know what to avoid or right. or how to change your thinking and things because yeah. it just tends to happen. Nina's is very clearly triggered by events that she's witnessing right yeah so it's more like you said ptsd as opposed to a panic attack right so that's kind of like but it also seems to be more asha based right and maybe it's because she's She's, suddenly finding herself in a relationship again right and and someone maybe a little too soon right right yeah and she doesn't want what happened to seb to happen to asha right yeah it makes sense i can maybe come round on it a little bit more the Without all that, the bells and whistles. Right. And it's yeah. that that's kind of... Trust your audience. Seriously, trust the audience trust to know your what, audience. what you're showing them. Right. Or, or And trust your actors to be able to act like they're having a panic attack without all of the bells and whistles. That's the other thing, especially with Kelly a few weeks ago. It's like, trust her to be able to act like this without sound effects. Mm-hmm. We get it. We know. Trust your actors, trust your audience. Things that, that drift into fancy sound effects or fancy visual effects are they need to be used so very sparingly on shows right. like Coronation Street because... And not like every other week. Right. It's like the guns and it's like yeah. characters in the police station or and characters gangsters. in the hospital. It's like, it seems that every week someone has to be at the police station or, or in the, the hospital. hospital because they've got this set built that has to be used. Right. 
So we have these effects at our disposal and we have to use them. Otherwise, we, put, we don't get the budget for them next year to use them. I don't right. know. But <clears throat> I think in this this sort of instance, the whole mantra of less is more is definitely true. And, and think how much of a reward it is for the audience to figure something out on their own without being battered over the head with it. Right, yeah. Of course, we say these things and then when TV shows and movies do trust their audience. There's always people who well, can't, get it, right? can't figure out how to get out of a paper bag mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I think when it comes to not things anybody like, who listens to this show. No, of course not. Mm. But I think things like panic attacks or drug use, I think we I think everybody can get it. Right. Right. As nuanced as that is. Right. Is Roy going to call it Christmas? Or is Roy going to show up at Christmas? Oh. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be be a relief. It would be a relief. Because it hasn't been long enough. It hasn't been long enough. And then I feel played a little bit because of the whole way that this has been uh, reported and the right. stories that have come out of it where nobody's quite sure and the fact that we're still nobody's quite sure if David Nielsen I think we're I think we we now know that he hasn't left or he hasn't left officially. Right. Or completely. Or completely. So I think we're expecting to see him. That would be nice to see at Christmas, but he's only been gone for like a month. Yeah. There are characters that have been gone a lot longer that you'd think would show up to see their parents and siblings on Christmas or show up to their siblings' wedding or mm-hmm. Funeral. you know or right, etc. Et massive life changing event, etc. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. <clears throat> okay, moving on to our final storyline on this Christmas morn. This Christmas day in the morning is the gathering of the clans at Christmas, but not like that. Clans <laughs> with a C. Oh, <laughs> yes. There's an aspect of the Barlow-Platt relationship that hasn't been touched on in the past in the past few months. But yeah, they're, they're all white supremacists. I don't know if we should be joking about that. No, but that would be a that would be a reveal and a half, wouldn't it? God, can you imagine the decorations at the bistro? <clears throat> so much fire on Monday. At number eight, David is getting ready to leave for the school with Max to plea for him not to be expelled. If it was up to David, it would be Daniel flipping Osborne that would be up in front of the governors. David's Shut still up, convinced David. that Daniel is to blame for this. Yeah. So Daniel's chatting awkwardly with Daisy then about being suddenly in charge of the school choir now, which felt like a plot point being suddenly developed and right. absolutely is. Absolutely is. <clears throat> Daniel sees Max and David leaving for their meeting and wishes Max luck, insisting that he isn't pushing for exclusion. Remember when Brian was in charge of the of the Christmas play <sighs> at school and he threw up over everybody? I honestly think that's that's a, a marked <laughs> low in my Coronation Street viewing as Brian swinging backwards and forwards vomiting over school governors. It wasn't just once. No, it was multiple times. I was like, why is this <gasps> why is this happening? Question number one. Question number two, why is this still happening? <laughs> it was honestly 
the worst thing uh, I've ever seen on Coronation Street. Brian swinging backwards and forwards. Vomiting. Vomiting. It's something I would expect from the young ones or bottom or something like that. Kind of. Or South Park. Yeah. Yeah. It did have a uh, Team America World, World Police <laughs> feel to it. For that wee puppet vomits seven or eight times his body weight. Right. And a little bit of uh, Pitch Perfect as well. Oh, yes. So, <clears throat> so David does a shit to Daniel and then drives off. The meeting with the deputy is not going well. David makes a spirited ADHD-themed appeal, but to no real end. And the bottom line is, Max punched a teacher and wishes that he'd done it harder. Yeah, ADHD does not make you punch people. Max is quite pleased that the, no one's forgotten that he'd said that he wished that he'd done it harder. Right, yeah. So she tells yeah, David... Max does not want to go back to no. school, so he's quite happy about all of this. She tells David that he'll get their decision later today, which makes me wonder what the point of the whole meeting was. <clears throat> At the Rover's mulled wine stall, Daniel learns from Shona that Max is probably going to get expelled. He insists again that he didn't want any of this and it was taken out of his hands, and Shona thinks this sounds convenient and that Daniel could have done something. Daisy is lingering in the background and overhears all this. Yes. At home, Shona is angry that David shot his mouth off, but then gets a call to let her know that Max isn't expelled after all. Nice one, says Max. Now, what's for lunch? And so they all <laughs> head to the bistro for a celebration lunch. Daniel arrives at the Rovers and explains to Daisy that he took Shona's advice and asked them not to expel Max. And Daisy- somehow that worked. Yeah. Daisy thinks this was a lovely act and then she gets a call from that Ashley Fruit Juice asking her out to dinner and Daniel is stung. Yes. David and Shona arrive, David wanting to rub it into Daniel's face and also gloat about Max not getting expelled. And while all this is going on, meanwhile, Sarah pops round to number eight to float the idea of the joint Barlow Platt Christmas, but David, who is dragging Max to that meeting at the school, thinks that she's out of her mind if she thinks that he's going to be poking sprouts with Daniel Flipping Osborne. Sarah catches up with Adam to chat about Christmas, which is overheard by Daisy. Adam bails on Sarah, who has cupcakes to make for a Christmas choir, and he tells her to ask her new BFF Lydia to help out. But because we don't have a set for Sarah's house yet, she's forced to meet with Lydia at number eight. Yeah, um, I think it was it was David who says to somebody, yeah, my sister Sarah's going to be using our oven for some reason. Mm-hmm. I guess there's something wrong with hers or something. Yeah, no, it's the fact that her house hasn't been built. Right. Sarah explains about their Christmas issue and Lydia flinches at the mention of Adam's name, although she insists that everything is cool beans there. And later, Sarah has burned the cupcakes because she's a woman and Adam comes in and Lydia starts to act shiftily, makes her excuses and leaves. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday at number eight, David finds out that the school are sending Max English homework that he missed while he was suspended. Max blames Daniel for this. And to cheer everyone up, Shona suggests going to see the school's the school choir's concert in the Christmas market where they've all got rat-arsed on mulled wine. Yes. In Nina's roles, Sarah wants to talk to Adam about the Christmas clan gathering. He suggests sending texts, but she wants to cajole them into wanting to come. Adam thinks it'll be a bloodbath, but promises to get his cajoling hat on. It's red with a bobble on. Aww. At the Christmas market, Daniel does his best to flirt with Lydia, while Sarah brings up the Christmas get-together idea. 
he tries to tell her that selling things that you've bought from a shop are illegal. Yeah. Red hot stuff. Yeah. Daniel asks if he can sit next to Max. Sarah fails to note the sarcasm until Daniel spells it out. This is a fucking horrendous idea, he says. Yes. At the Christmas market, Daniel is chatting to Daisy about Max. She would have given up on him, but he stood up for him. What? She would have given up on Max, but Daniel stood up for him and she finds because, that admirable. Because he's a good kid and deserved an education. Right. Deep down, deep down inside, somewhere there's a good kid in there, somewhere. Mm. And a talented, a talented filmmaker as we, well. We know because for the first 12, 13 years of his life, he was a relatively good kid. Right. Daisy goes off and Max appears with David and Shona, who leave him to go and get fudge. Seeing an opportunity for shenanigans, Max goes over to Daniel's laptop and starts fucking around in it. Yeah. Daisy sees Max looking all chuffed with himself later and advises him to be on his best behaviour because if it wasn't for Daniel sticking up for him at school, Max would be expelled. Wait, what? Asks what? Max. And he tries to save the situation, but David and Shona get in the way and it's too late and now the school choir sing a Christmas carol about how Daniel is a paedophile. Right. And, and none of those kids seem to think, wait a second, this is wrong. These aren't the I words know to... the words to this song. <laughs> I'm going to sing the right words instead of reading off this teleprompter right. that they have somehow. Yeah. You, <laughs> Why? You, well, the kids don't miss an opportunity. To... Right, yeah, because they think it's hilarious. Right. But nobody <clears throat> thinks to rush over and shut that teleprompter down. Right. And why do they have a teleprompter for a, a concert they're supposed to be really ready for? And Did it also, sound like they were ready for it? No. <laughs> and also, awful. weren't like some kids from the street supposed to be singing, and they weren't? No, the only one we heard from was this wee scouse kid yeah. who told everyone to calm down, calm down. Yeah. It's, That's it's, my scouse impression. It's we, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Ray Weinstein. No, he's a mank. He's not a scouser. Yeah, well, your mank and your scouser sound about the same. <laughs> Outrageous. When you, say, when you say calm down. And, calm um, down, calm down. <laughs> calm down, calm down. Mark the difference for me, please. Mark it. <laughs> Mark shrugs and says, oh, I was meant to be funny. And he did try and change it back, but David stopped him. Most of the grown-ups Daniel is related to are outraged while everyone else conceals smirks. Daniel, though, is a little irked at being branded a sex pest in public. Again. So right. Daisy grabs the choir's mic and tells everyone in the market that Daniel might be a bit of a prick, but as far as she knows, he hasn't interfered inappropriately with any pupil in his charge, either male or female. Daniel looks like he wants back in her knickers again. Timing is everything. Yes. Sarah has had enough of this. And she does a mic drop as well. She does. Sarah has had enough of this, and in the middle of the market, she gathers all the Barlows and Platts who were on set that day to thrash it out. Sarah announces that she and Adam are trying for a baby, which makes David vomit in his mouth for some reason. <laughs> and she had hoped... Because it makes him have to think about his sister having sex. And she had hoped that it would bring the families together. But what chance of that? She storms off, and Peter and David and Max and Daniel look at their shoes for a bit, suitably chastised. Max goes to apologise to Daniel, and he seems to mean it. Daniel can't go on with being publicly branded a pedo every couple of weeks, so the two of them agree to turn over a new new leaf again. 
Then David goes to the law office, practically catching Adam and Sarah bonking on the desk. Adam's saying that Irwin and Toyer are constantly doing it on that desk. David explains about Max's apology, which So Daniel why would you want to do it on that desk, Adam? <laughs> still does it turn you on, the idea of still having moist, sex still moist in the same place? from Imran's butt cheeks. Imran has sex. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were planning on buying a big, massive desk when we moved? Oh, <laughs> yes, I remember that. That's making me blush a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> desks. Mm. Good times. David explains about Max's apology, which Daniel has accepted. So, Team Platt is officially green for go. Adam confirms that Team Barlow is also in. And now Sarah worries that this might be, as Daniel said earlier, a fucking horrendous idea. Which brings us on to this week's hard debate. <laughs> With the Barlow Platt Christmas 2021 on the cards, Sarah and Adam trying for a baby, and Daniel's feud with Max reaching ahead, how drunk do you think Audrey's going to get? <laughs> Is she going to get face down in the turkey drunk, come on to Ken drunk, karaoke with Gail drunk, or constant Audrey hmm drunk? I think I chose come on to Ken drunk. This, I think, was one of the most closely fought uh, hard debate polls that we've done since mm. we started doing this mm-hmm. because every time I checked it was like the lead was changing mm-hmm. and you know, no one was voting for karaoke with Gail and no. then everyone seemed to be voting for karaoke with Gail so the lead changed hands multiple times through the 18 hours or so that the poll ran Correct. but the voting was thus uh-huh. face down in the turkey drunk 17% mm-hmm Karaoke with Gail drunk, 23%. Uh-huh. Constant Audrey hmm drunk, 29%. And the winner, Huzzah! in inverted commas, with 31% was come on to Ken drunk. I really want to see <clears throat> that. I think she's, there was some commentary that kind of like her to do all of those things. I think she might just fall asleep. So Peter catches up with Daniel and the Rovers. Neither are convinced that Christmas will be anything less than a nightmare. Peter mentions that Daisy was very quick to jump to Daniel's defence and Simon has sent a link to her Instagram where she's posted a photo of her and Daniel looking all cosy-like. It's got a thousand likes, which it absolutely hasn't. And Daniel is gobsmacked. And Simon, a little bit creepy for following Daisy on Instagram. On Christmas Eve, Daniel is round at number one early doors to use her toaster and to complain to Ken about Daisy saying pacifically and not specifically. Ken's up to his tits in hearing this and tells Daniel to invite Daisy around for a drink later as he's obviously smitten. Meanwhile at the Rovers, Daisy's wearing rollers because Ashley Fruit Juice has invited her to a body butter launch, whatever that is. She's already thinking about the swag and the Love Island nipples. It's basically moisturiser, only it's a little thicker. Thick it's, moisturizer. It's more the consistency of, would you believe, butter. Sounds awful. It's great. In comes Daniel to invite her for a drink, but she has to turn them down because of her plans and stuff with Ashley, Ashley Fruit Juice. Daniel is his usual patronising self as he poo-poos those plans with brainless wonder Ashley and corrects Daisy's grammar and maths. He really is an insufferable prick. He really is. Daniel decamps to Nina's roles where he's met by Adam. Adam is no fan of Daisy and tells Daniel that he needs to get his hole and suggests the two of them meet up for a wee dram later. Daniel calls Adam 
a professional Scottish person. Seriously, <laughs> how has this prick got anyone wanting to talk to him, let alone help him? <laughs> he is a professional Scottish person, though. Yeah. As, well, as, he doesn't get paid for being Scottish. That's all Scottish people are. He gets paid for in other ways. <laughs> just <We're>, like you. <laughs> I'm back to that, that desk again. <laughs> We're back at Debbie's Rape Hotel for the Swank Body Butter launch and we see Ashley Fruit just standing next to Daisy. He's eight foot tall. He's massive. Because I don't think Daisy's short. We've seen Daisy speak uh, standing next to, to people before and she seems just like a regular height, but she seems tiny compared to him. Mm-hmm. He wants to hurry the party, but she's too busy going through the swag. She's not having a great time because he's more dim-witted and self-obsessed than she is. So Daniel and Adam arrive at the bistro, but wouldn't you know it, Sarah and Lydia are already there. Adam is pissed off, but Daniel notices that Lydia is reading a book. Daniel also enjoys reading books. And the two of them talk about their favourite parts of the books. Lydia mm-hmm. is a spine girl. Daniel loves the bit that explains that it's illegal to resell that book without its cover. I jest. <laughs> She's reading Shuggy Bane, which I just couldn't get into. Meanwhile, Daisy is becoming disillusioned at the launch thing. Everyone is so pretty and vacuous and Ashley Fruit Juice is angry with her that she's drunk. She tells him it's specifically, not specifically, and then fucks off. So Daisy goes back to the street and goes to Daniel's house and rings his buzzer, but then she does that thing that characters on soap operas do where they don't wait rom-coms. for the person answering to say and anything par- and just blurb out a bunch of home and, truths. And also she's Finally, they're ultimately are heard by the wrong person. And also, she's been splashed by a bus. So she's all wet and her mascara is running and everything. They're throwing every single rom-com, especially holiday rom-com trope at this week that they possibly can. Right. And it's kind of hilarious. This... this I missed the bus thing. This, this works better. Well, we don't see her get splashed by the bus, but we see her, like, soaking... Walking down. Uh, oh, so it was just raining, I think, wasn't it? No, because she says oh, she that she's gotten splashed by a bus and that, you know, this is her this is her um, Bridget Jones moment. So she directly references a, ro- a oh, rom-com. I thought I just meant she was wearing large underpants. <laughs> I had no idea what that was about. Oh, I haven't seen and, it. And nobody cares. She's explaining this to people who have their backs to her mostly. Right. So yeah, so she's explaining all this to the wrong person. And in this case, the wrong person is Ken, who's at Daniel's to babysit for Bertie. See, I thought it was going to be Lydia shagging Daniel. Yeah, I kind of thought that as well. And Ken hears that Daisy fancies Daniel after all. He's at the Christmas market, says Ken, and then hangs up. And then... Well, no, he comes down. Comes to the door. He comes down to the door, which he doesn't have to do. He could just use the intercom. But when Daisy gets to the Christmas market, she discovers that Daniel and Lydia have agreed that books are the best thing ever and are winching each other's faces off to prove it. And that is how we end this week's episodes at Christmas. Ugh. I mean, yay. (laughs) I mean, hell mend you, Daisy. This has been going on for... way too long although it has to be said that Daniel isn't making this very easy for her or anybody by just being so pompous and insufferable and the way that he's disparaging Ashley Fruit Juice who is a a moron let's face it yeah a little bit and again a rom-com trope that you're with a guy who's pretty but an idiot 
And also, well, this isn't really a rom-com trope, but it's just a life trope or a five to eight-year-old kind of trope of pull the pigtails of the girl that you fancy. Right. And that's and that's what, that's what this grown man yes. or this man-boy Daniel seems to be doing. But let's remember he also did this to Lydia initially. When he was he, like, he's just awful. excuse me, ma'am. Did you make these cupcakes? They look remarkably like the ones at Freshco's. Ho, 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 ho. I just, let's go have a drink, please. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, where did that confidence come from? Is suddenly just ask this complete stranger out for a drink. Well, she's with Sarah, so she can't be all bad, but, I guess. But nevertheless, a stranger to Daniel. Right, yeah. Mm. I don't know. So we have the setup then of the the Barlow Platt Christmas 2021 happening. Yes. I'm really looking forward to it. I am too. Because <laughs> it's going to be hilarious, isn't it? I guess it depends on who's writing it. Yeah, that's true. But this has potential for classic. Hijinks. Again, classic Coronation Street Christmas episodes. Yes. I, I see nothing... And what we saw on Christmas Eve that would suggest that there's going to be a shooter. No. I don't think anything's going to explode. No. I don't even know if there's anything that's going to be a little bit sad or maybe potentially that Abby seeing Cheerio is the right. twins. That'll be sad. Morecambe and Wise again. And yeah. Nobody's dying though. Doesn't seem we, like we, it. We've had enough death, I think, this week, this year. Doesn't seem like anybody's going to have an overdose. No. It seems that maybe we're going to have a little bit of concern from Nina, maybe. Right. But everything looks like it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. So it's as quick as I can get this edited and yeah. then get watching the, watching the Christmas Day episode. Yes. Is Daniel the sort of person who, now that he's got an in with Lydia, is willing to just ignore the fact that he fancied Daisy and has fancied Daisy for weeks because now he's got a girlfriend. Well, he's kissed another woman. That doesn't automatically make her his girlfriend. Oh. This is not middle school. Uh, uh, the way that he's behaving, it absolutely is. I, I, I feel like the whole Adam angle is going to mess up the whole Daniel and Lydia thing. But there's, at some a, there's point. so many angles here. Too many angles. It's kind of like that movie we watched last night or yesterday. Too many angles. Yeah. Too many angles. National champions. Which has... It was dodecahedron. There was far too many <laughs> angles on it. There was. Because <clears throat> here we have Daniel and Lydia, but he also fancies Daisy. So mm-hmm. there's, there's that kind of triangle. There's Adam thrown in there as well. Where right. We Adam has slept with Lydia. Has at least slept. And, and maybe the father of her child. And maybe made a baby with her, right? Right. Or at least she thinks that that's his baby. Does she describe this as her last serious relationship? Yeah. So the last serious relationship that she had probably created that child, one would think. So there's four. But then in Corey News, we learned that Nikki's returning. Right, but in the spring, so it's going to be a while. So where does that fall in? Uh, I don't know. You know what really annoys me? Sarah, whenever she's talking about, whenever people are talking about children, she goes on and on and on about Harry. She keeps forgetting she also has a daughter. 
<laughs> named Bethany, who also probably won't appear for Christmas. No. I think she's in London. Yeah. London! Lucy Fallon seems to be doing quite well for herself out there in the world. Is she? So. I don't keep track once they, once they leave. They're, they're, they're dead, dead to, to you. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. But probably. still, you'd think that she would mention that she also has a daughter. You'd think. I'm just relieved that she mentions Harry once every couple of months or so. Just that he's still fine. You know, we, we need to know these things. Like when people ask me about my children, I mention all three. Even though one of them doesn't live here anymore. Because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do when you're a parent. You're, you're supposed to remember all of your children. Not just the cute little one. We're about to hit that storyline in, in classic, Corey. That's coming up. We've got the new Sarah Lou. Uh-huh. The Tina O'Brien has started in, uh-huh. in classic, Corey. And is hanging around with a ne'er-do-well Candice, who's about to, and is doing her best to lead her off uh, the beaten track into, into shenanigans. Right. And I think those shenanigans are, are what going is going to, to lead, lead to, up to, to Bethany her. very, very soon. So we're, we're starting to get to a, a few good bits in classic Corey as well. Uh-huh. Anyway, I guess that probably was the week that was Coronation Street. It was. And it's Christmas, so let's wrap this up. Yes. What was your moment of the week? Or unwrap this up. Ha 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 and it was a kind of heartwarming... And a surprise. Because we were like, what is this What is this deep, dark secret that Seb wrote on light baby Robin's nest, Robin's egg blue paper? Yeah, I had absolutely no idea this was happening. Yeah. It was good to see them again. And it was, do you know, the, the twins kind of represent a period of Abby's life that is probably best forgotten when she was on the skank and stuff. Right. But you know what? And I don't feel that much of a connection to them because clearly I can't remember their names. The show can't remember their names. But I do I do feel the kind of overwhelming joy that Abby felt from from right. seeing them again. Yes. To have them just walk into her right, living yeah. room was was quite oofty. Yeah. That would be overwhelming, right. you know? So so yeah, I'm 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 happy to go along with that. Yes. Abby being reunited with the interchangeable twins is our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Daniel and Lydia talking about a book. <laughs> we gave it to Daniel last week, I'm sure. Can we... Yes, last week it was it was Daniel and Ken talking about being teachers in a booth. <laughs> oh, who knows? <laughs> That's what it was. It's it's still gotta be Daniel, doesn't it? <laughs> it's Christmas. Come on. <laughs> Can you think of anything else that was boring? Can I just say what definitely wasn't boring was the the tiny little bit that we got of the Undertaker trying to guess what one Eileen would want for her Christmas, her Christmas but making it sound like. He was measuring her up for a coffin. What height are you, Eileen? <laughs> you five ten? Are you? Did are we you mention really? the whole handle thing? What kind of handles would you like? <laughs> I was like, what? 
Yeah. That was fantastic as and well. And also the fact that she mentions to someone that she doesn't own a handbag, that the only handbag, the only bags she has are under her eyes. So... Do you know, my boring moment of the week is the stupid effect that they put on Nina's panic attack. Yes. 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 Because it, they did it twice. Yeah. And it wasn't welcome once. No. So it, it was becoming annoying and overused stop, and boring. Stop with the... Stop with the weird effects. I know you guys probably paid a lot of money for them, but don't don't. I think we could. No. I think you're overusing them. Right. Yeah. That is our boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Well, it is Christmas Day. It is. Shall we wrap this one up then, Manalan? Do you expect me to make the unwrap joke again? <laughs> no. Okay. Then yes. Have you ever read a book? <laughs> if you have, maybe you'd like to give writing us a message ago. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com. And Just not on poster board. And, and please don't show up at our door with, <laughs> with a boombox. Please. Do you know what? Just once, dude. <laughs> and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a New Year coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode and another year. Thank you. We will be back in 2022 with more... Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.